0: Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And this episode, I have Dr. Glenn Gardner, who is the district superintendent of Eastern Michigan District Church of the Nazarene. And for my uh, non-Nazarene listeners, that's like a bishop, I guess. Uh, I'm not really sure that's a good comparison, but close enough. So in this episode, we talk about Uh, what he has learned along the journey of ministry and how his perspective of women clergy has changed, Um, advice for leaning into your call, and then uh, his part that he is playing in being an advocate for women clergy on our district as well as our denomination. And I believe you will really enjoy it. I do want to let you know for those of you who are going to be listening down the road that we're still in the middle of a pandemic and a stay at home order here in Michigan. So, uh, this was a zoom call and for all of you, uh, who have experienced zoom, that should be all I have to say. So there's a little bit of a time delay. There's a little warping that happens throughout the episode, but there's some really good stuff. So I want to encourage you to hang in there and listen all the way to the end and enjoy the episode. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different?
1: Hey, good morning.
0: Hey, you made it.
1: Yeah, I did. How are you?
0: These days, it's always questionable if if it's going to work or
1: not. I was sitting here and I was thinking, I I thought, I'm pretty sure we said Thursday. And and then I was going back through the email and it was like the 21st. I'm like, wait, that's today. And today's Thursday. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. So Mike Mike says, after a while, everything starts running together. And it really does. So it's crazy. Yesterday was our oldest grandson's birthday, so it was we, we were pretty caught up with that. I knew it wasn't yesterday. Yeah, they they got back February 14th. They were in Thailand when it all happened and at a Asia conference, and um, when um, th- they had extended their stay about a week so that they could just get some family time, a little vacation in. If they'd gone back immediately, they'd have gotten in, but by waiting a week, they couldn't get back in, so... They're here. They either could go to Singapore or come here. So they came here and they've been been here about four months now. And they're they're really stir crazy, as you can only imagine. So, yeah, uh, that's it. Not sure what's going to happen to them. If they get back in or they're going to assign them to to another country.
0: Yeah. Are they even where they were before? Is that even open or is that still a lockdown?
1: Um, China's not allowing anybody in unless you're Chinese. So um, they can't get in. back to their apartment where all their stuff is they're concerned that, you know, they don't mind being assigned somewhere else. It's just, how do we get in and get our stuff? That's the, that's right. the big piece for them. So
0: thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I'm kind of, I, I don't know. Am I the first man you've had is just
0: kind well, of the, the uh, first one. I'm not you married had somebody to.
1: Else. I, I kind of I tried. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. You had Rob. <laughs> that's right. Okay. That's
0: yeah. Good. So that's good. So That's congratulations funny. on being the first, uh, you know, man on the podcast. <laughs> it only took me two years.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I'm not the first, but thanks. I appreciate <laughs> that. It's kind of exciting. I've kept up and listened periodically. And
0: well, and I I sent you some questions ahead of time, and we'll just see what what God does. I have some other yeah. questions as I was praying this morning. Um, we're gonna push. I'm gonna push all the women clergy ones to the end. So I'm going to start with a real easy one. Uh, Where do you stand on the introvert extrovert continuum?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I swing extrovert thing to the, to the far side and, and uh, fortunately I've worked alongside of some really wonderful, wonderful introverts and know how productive they are and how great they are. And um, I don't always understand them, but uh, they're, it's it's great everybody's wired differently and everybody brings their strengths to the table so
0: yeah yeah now obviously I knew the answer to that but you know there might be three people listening who don't know so
1: (laughs) yeah you never know
0: never know I always I always have extra time when I interview extroverts which is most of them so I think I've only had a handful of introverts on here but uh, and I have to like really draw the (laughs) answers out so all right. Now you're currently the DS, the district superintendent on Eastern Michigan District. Like there might be somebody who doesn't know that who listens, right? Because I do have people from other states who are listening to the podcast now. Uh, so before that, you were at Flint Central. And, you know, some people think that you graduated and went straight to Flint Central.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, Yeah. Not, no. not quite. I passed it when I was in seminary. A student pastored uh, four years in Kansas City area, about fifty miles out of Kansas City. And we spent nine years in Texas, uh, pastored in the deep south, and um, it was a great time. We really enjoyed our time in uh, San Antonio area, and uh, then we moved. Uh, we did kind of like a missionary thing and moved to New Hampshire and uh, pastored there for eight years, um, and then sojourned down to Florida and uh and then we've been here 16 years uh we moved here in 2004 it's the longest actually it's kind of funny we we just had this conversation today my wife and i it's the longest either one of us has ever lived in a home in one home and uh we've lived in the same home for 16 years so we've kind of enjoyed it. and 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 I pastored 32 years uh, almost 33 years uh, or 32 years, and, and then I've been doing this job seven years. I'm in my eighth year now of uh, being the district superintendent for Eastern Michigan. So I didn't quite graduate straight to Flint Central. So no. That's, that's <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. It's, been, it's just Great. been eight
0: years, right? In April.
1: That's been seven. I'm, I just started my eighth year. So I finished sure, seven okay. years. Um, yeah, about this time. Started about this time eight, in 2013, whatever it was, seven years ago, so.
0: After your student pastor, after your student pastor, where did you go next? Where was your, like your first official assignment as lead pastor?
1: Yeah, I actually was a lead pastor as a student pastor, but I don't always really count that because I was I was at seminary more than I was uh, at the church, and so you know I was at the church Saturdays and Sundays, and I was at night at night, but I was at class Monday through Friday. So we moved to San Antonio, Texas. Uh, the little church of about thirty thirty five people um, in in the city of San Antonio and uh, and just if you love Hispanic culture it's one of the the best hidden secrets in the country it's a great place to live so our son was born there and he lives there now he and his wife are, have moved to the San Antonio area where she's from so they really like it
0: in that pastorate what like what would you say is the the thing that you learned in that ministry. That really carried that you carried that with you throughout the rest of your ministry. Maybe maybe it wasn't that one. Maybe it was a different one. But was there something specific um, that you learned in that pastorate?
1: Well, I think in the, in, in our Texas years, I, I learned um, that I that I had the gift of evangelism, um, and I began to to work do that and develop it, and it really catapulted our ministry in a in a in a wonderful way. And, I think that those, those years were where God really did a work in my life, taught me some leadership principles through some help and through some seminars, But uh, the leadership principles that I learned in those days, in the Texas days and, and the evangelism piece that I began to develop and work in those days were the two most effective life-changing pieces for me that would carry on all through my, through my time as a pastor still today.
0: I know you've shared stories about your about that assignment. Um, did you grow up in the church?
1: i did i I grew up in um, in a Methodist church in Southern Illinois where I'm from, just across the river from St Louis and uh, in my home, uh, my mom was an incredible Christian lady, incredible believer. My father didn't become a believer till he was sixty seven years of age, so I kind of grew up in kind of a split home my dad never went to church and um he he grew up in a christian home that he was everything but and uh but i grew up in a great great home with a great mom who loved the lord
0: and then how did you so then how did you make the i mean it's not really a leap to go from methodist to nazarene but how did that happen
1: well um you know i got saved when i was 15 and uh we uh, at, at camp when it came time to start looking at colleges i I started looking at Methodist colleges, and um, for some reason, my mom kept asking me, you know, why don't you go up and look at all of at Nazarene College in those days, and, um, and I, I really didn't want to go there. I, I was, you know, those Nazarenes were a little strange, um, and I had some family who were Nazarenes, and, you know, they weren't allowed to do anything but eat, you know, they couldn't go to, go to movies, and they do all kinds of things. It was just like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. And so I went and visited just to kind of get her off my back, and um, so that she would leave me alone. Well, lo and behold, you know how the spirit works. And once I visited, it was like, oh my word, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I went to college there, but, but I never intended to stay. I was never going to be a Nazarene, and that's for sure. And uh, I married uh, Kayla, and I affectionately I married Nancy Nazarene. And so that was that was <laughs> the end of, end of that. And so, and I stayed in, in, in the role, and, and and I've never regretted it in all my life. I've always just been thrilled to be a part of the Church of Nazarene, and it's just been uh, it's been really good. It's been really good to me. Church has been good to me.
0: So when you went into college, you, d- you didn't have a call yet then, or did you, to ministry?
1: Yeah, I did. I, I was 16 years old. Um, I, I began to realize God was calling me into something, but I didn't know what. I remember uh, being at camp, uh, and then on, on Saturday morning, the closing service was always a call to ministry kind of a service in, in the Methodist camp I grew up in, and I found myself responding. And I, all of a sudden, I found myself down front responding, thinking, what in the world am I doing here? But I felt this tug in my heart to to move that direction. and And so for the rest of my high school, two years of high school, I just had this this real desire to follow through and, and to be to be in ministry. I didn't know it was going to be pastoral ministry. I, I didn't even know what it looked like, but I knew I had a call and, and I would have people affirm that call when they would say, so what are you, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? And so well, I'm going to go to college and well, what are you going to study? I'm going to, I'm going to, study for the ministry. And they would say, Oh, that makes, that makes all kinds of sense. That's just, that's who you are. That's just those kinds of affirmations were huge for me, and um, they really confirmed everything that I was sensing in my heart and my my mind.
0: I know you you've started a senior pastor, but what are your other roles did you were a you youth pastor too?
1: Yeah, I was a youth pastor for a year before um before I became a lead pastor in seminary, and I was just starting seminary and uh, served at a church for a year. And that was a real productive time for me because I, uh, I served with probably one of the most compassionate men I've ever been around. His name was Phil Williams. He's gone on to heaven. But uh, he just had an unbelievable unique uniqueness about him that I would, one of my jobs, I had two roles, youth pastor and a follow-up on first-time visitors. And I would meet visitors and I would say, so how did you come to find our church? And they'd say things to me like, well we were eating dinner in a restaurant and Pastor Phil was sitting next to us and we fell in love with him at, at the table and we decided we'd come try his church and I think and how do you how do you do that how do you how do you make people fall in love with you so much at a dinner table next to you that you'd want to visit their church or, or I had a guy say to me one time you know our, we had a flat tire and this, and the pastor stopped and helped us change the tire and and i I, I started watching him and real life. he had this passion for people and he had this great compassion for people who needed who needed great help. And, and, uh, that really influenced me huge. That year was really productive for me that I spent in that role.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, having, well, from my own personal experience, having that, that time on staff and watching, you know, your senior pastor is very formative and helpful. Sure, sure. I was thinking today about like every day, like the pandemic, but, um, I know you, you pastored in the New England district for a long, how long were you there on the New England district?
1: Almost eight years. Yeah. All
0: right, And you pastored through the eighties when everything was kind of coming out about HIV and AIDS. And I was telling this to my kids the other day. So people don't realize how, how frightening that was because nobody knew what it was, how to treat it, um, how it was, you know, how you caught it, that kind of thing. And like, if you got it, it was a death sentence. Um, you know, if you're lucky, if you live six right, months. Right. And so I was thinking about you, you pastoring through that time, how does this compare, mm-hmm. you know, this pandemic season to that season?
1: Well, that's a great question. I, there's a lot of similarities um, in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, people were, the HIV virus in those days was associated with just one, one section and uh, people and uh, people in the homosexual lifestyle. And and so it was, it, that was the difference maybe is it was, there was a separation except that when it first started and someone tested positive, if you knew someone who tested positive, they were pretty much homebound. They couldn't go anywhere because they were, and you're right, nobody knew how you got it. And they were afraid that if you were even in the same room with someone, you'd, you'd pick up the HIV. That was that was a big, a big piece of it. So, there, there's some similarities, but there's a lot of differences, uh, just simply because it fairly associated with one group of people. So, in in those days, so and that kind of helps separate some of that out. I think.
0: Yeah, because then when other people groups started contracting it, then they started realizing it, you know, was uh, transmitted intravenously and blood transfusions and stuff like that. Um, right, right. And, and I know that you, you ministered to a lot. Um, you did a lot of funerals at that time. So I guess thinking about how you handle some of those uh, f- like those funerals and those sensitive issues, yeah. what, what, what advice would you give to those of us who are you know, we're ministering now to people who are losing loved ones?
1: Yeah, I think the thing I would say to people is don't be afraid to reach out to people who, who are in these tough places. Because that's simply—I got a phone call one day. and How that all happened was from one of the funeral homes and uh, asked me if I would do a funeral for someone who had, who was dying of AIDS. They had no one. They had a they had a church that they attended, but but the pastor of that church um, wouldn't t- wouldn't do it. And so I agreed to do it. I said I'll do it, but on one condition: it has to be in our sanctuary, which which was kind of like, whoa, how's that happen? And so uh, the gentleman who, who had HIV was dying, uh, didn't want me to come see him because he was so bad. And, but his partner came to see me and, and asked me if it would be okay if the choir from their church came and sang at the service in our sanctuary. And, and I wanted it in our sanctuary because I felt like if it was in, if it was in a funeral home, I might, I might feel really inhibited. I, would, I wanted to talk about how much God loves people and how much he cares about people, no matter what choices they make and no matter what they do. And so it was such an overwhelmingly positive experience um, that I became known as the pastor who would do funerals for people with AIDS. I was doing them right and left and, uh, and coming to find out there were people in our church who had family members who, who were HIV positive and so we begin to have a ministry to folks in, in a very powerful way. So I, I guess I would say do not do not be afraid to reach out to touch folks who are in this situation, who who have um, who are recovering or who are at home with COVID nineteen or whatever, but to continue to just minister to people because they're they're desperate for some someone to bring some healing and help and hope to their to their lives as, as those folks were in, on, in those days.
0: Yeah. We're all, we're all desperate for hope.
1: Yeah, we sure are.
0: So one of the things that uh, you and and Dr. Kisko and the rest of your team launched uh, once you became superintendent, um, you launched MAC, Ministry Assessment Center. Did you just talk about, because I know we have people in other districts who listen to this. So just kind of what it is. And then some of the, Advantages or benefits that you've seen over over the last few years as we've done this, and maybe even if if you've seen it help women clergy, or how that piece has helped women clergy also.
1: The the ministry assessment was was designed to help people who were starting out in ministry have a better understanding of who they were, their strengths, everything that they bring to the table, so that as they Go down the journey of educate education towards pastoral ministry. They could build on that. Uh, most of us have learned all these things later in years and looked back and thought, well, if I'd have known this 25 years ago, it would have made a huge difference in how I approached ministry, and how I approached people. And it, and it also helped me understand why I left a lot of meetings really frustrated, because I just looked for things that I shouldn't have been looking for. In those meetings that were unrealistic, but I didn't rethink they were unrealistic because that's who how I'm wired. I just thought that's kind of the way it is. You know, I didn't I didn't know things like you need to surround yourself with people who are in the different categories so that you're, there's a real balance at the table. Those kinds of things that, that I didn't understand. So we we just thought, and Dr. Dave Bowser, who was here at the time, he and I had been a part of the very first one of these that ever happened when we were when he and I were both pastoring in New England. He and Mike, uh, Dr. Kitsko, just put together a phenomenal context of a, a program of helping people to come to that already with knowing their Myers-Briggs, knowing their strengths, those kinds of things, and then helping them to understand them and a little bit better and understand themselves a little, a little bit better. And we just felt like if we could do that, um, as people were entering the process of education for ministry, it would catapult them in the process of Learning more about ministry and applying things based on on who they are. What what we found out was uh, immediately we were we were, we've been averaging 19 to 20 people a year who've gone through this now for six. This will be the sixth year. I can't tell you how many times people say to me, I can't. Who come back to us now after five years later, six years later, and have said, I can't tell you how what a difference that made in my life. Uh, how much it just really catapulted me into the into the ministry and to understanding. And I began to study based on knowing these pieces and those kinds of things about myself. That's been really healthy. And uh, I think one of the things it's done for, for women and, and men both, I think both, is it's just given them a sense it, it's given them a sense of identity, that they're okay, that their call is, is healthy, and uh, that uh, God calls men and women. And uh, matter of fact, I you know I'll kind of go stick myself out on the limb here and just tell you that most of the women clergy I've worked with seem to be better wired for ministry than a lot of men uh, that I meet, and I'll probably get feedback on that, but that's okay but anyway <laughs> and so it's 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 been fascinating um, just to watch how that how that happens. And I think it's helped uh, hopefully it's helped a lot of our ladies um, to to feel more confident. About participation in ministry and what, and that they can do this, um, they can do this, and and you don't have to be certain wired a certain way to do it. You just have to understand how you're wired, and then lean into that, lean into who you are, and put those things into perspective. So hopefully, hopefully, from what I've experienced and watched, is it's really helped a lot of our ladies uh, who who are in this process with us to do, do that. And I and I've had the privilege of placing some of them so in the churches. So that's been that's been really exciting, really helpful too.
0: Every year, when I go, I think, wow, I wish I had this. Yeah. I felt I felt like I was floundering so much through the process, you know, and then not being raised Nazarene made it even harder, so I'm like, what? Yeah. Your ministry has spanned uh, a few decades, and, yeah. but you know, you were 12 when you started, right?
1: That's right, yeah, that, not, well, actually I was 11, but oh, that's okay, <laughs> I can
0: uh, and then you you pastored in the South, uh, it Texas, Florida, the East Coast, and the Midwest. And then I don't know what Michigan is. It's not really Midwest. It's, so it's its own thing. How has your perspective of women clergy changed both over the decades, you know, of ministry, but then also how has where you've lived and, and pastored influenced that? Because I think both of those play a role in it.
1: First of all, I grew up in the Methodist church. So the Methodist church has always had women clergy. It never crossed my mind that women couldn't be pastors. It just, it just was never in my, my wavelength because I've always seen things from a Wesleyan view because people always to, well, how did you, how did you make, figure this piece out? And I'm like, well, there wasn't anything to figure out. It was just always there. And, and when you look at things from a Wesleyan perspective, it changes how you, how you view things. But in Texas, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of women pastors um, and even in Missouri when I was student pastor and I didn't see, I don't remember lead pastors at at all. It's when I got to new England that I began, I encountered uh, Mary Paul, uh, who is now on as a professor at Point Loma, who was pastoring at Lynn, Massachusetts. And I encountered some, some ladies like that, but in the church I served was, a woman a lady pastor named Rebecca turcott, who totally changed my whole view of this whole piece and and really it really i don't know if she changed it it enhanced it because she brought things to the table that were just absolutely phenomenal. She taught me more about worship, she taught me about uh, ministry and compassion with people um, and it was just phenomenal so as I watched in New England, uh, which wasn't anti women in ministry um, uh, in in a lot of ways, like you find other places, I watched that take place in in those churches, and I, I moved from there to Florida where there were women on staff, and I came here where there was women on staff. So um, so I've always had this uh, relationship uh, that was always healthy. Uh, they always seemed to either be in music or children. It just seemed like there's kind of the places they had landed. And then I landed in this job, and there were about six or seven, I think, at the time, uh, who were pastoring. So now we we have either lead or co-lead thirteen. We've been up to as many as fifteen, but they transition. And uh, so it's been exciting to watch watch that happen because they, you know, they just bring something to the table. You ladies bring things to the table that we men um, don't think about. You you see a side of ministry that we never see. And, uh, I just think there's a lot of, it's incredible how God uses that, that strength and that, that peace. And, and the, the, the women pastors I've been around, including you are phenomenal preachers. They're just great communicators. It's just been a, a great reward along the way. So it, it, it I, it's never been a mind trans transition for me to make that transition from believe whether women should be in ministry to whether they shouldn't be in ministry. This, it's never, that's never been a part of the equation for me. The, the piece for me more than anything else has just been how to make that happen of that piece. You, you want me to talk about that for a little bit? Would that be helpful? Yeah, talk be, about that. One of my commitments to when I, when I became the district superintendent, one of my commitments to the women pastors we had, that when I went to a church to, to talk to the board about transition I would always ask the question, would you be open to looking at a resume from a female pastor? And sometimes um, they were real hesitant. Some would say, yeah, yeah, we'd look at that. That'd be great. And I've been able to place some, some ladies in those places. Uh, and then there were some who were hesitant. But the ones who always were just like adamantly opposed to that, I would make sure that one of, some of their interim preaching was done by a woman so that they would at least have that experience. Um, I would I would sick Lindsay Murphy and I would just say Lindsay I'm, I'm sending you on a mission because <laughs> she's just this incredible creature and uh, and by the time I would get back after Lindsay had been there they would go oh my word who, who where does she come from you know so right. just trying to find ways to change the way people think uh, about that role in that position is, has been fun it's a challenge but it's been fun fun as well so that's kind of been how I've, went, I've gone about it, and uh, you can't make boards do what they don't want to do. And,
0: yeah, experience plays a huge role in it if, you know, yeah. if they experience it, um, especially if they have a positive experience, but at the end of the day, the only person we can change is ourself with the help of God. When I planted this church, I, what was there, maybe five percent of us were lead pastors, women Could were be. lead pastors, and I think yeah. we're we're over 10 percent now,
1: It's almost, it's it's about 17%. It's, you know, we have 78 churches and we have 13. It's kind of mind boggling, but it's kind of fun. It's really fun to watch as well.
0: Okay. I want to ask you this question um, and I'm going to, I'm going to set it up. First of all, I want to set it up with this, that as leaders, we all have to be politically correct. So I understand that you're going to have to be a little politically correct to answer this. So uh, I'm giving you that out right now. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. Um, some people, you know, some people have a tendency to self sabotage. And mm-hmm. as women, you know, we're really good at it. And some of that's our culture. We've been trained. It's, it's a form of self preservation, right? Mm-hmm. So we can self sabotage. In what ways do you see women clergy um, sabotage themselves the most in ministry? And what suggestions would you have for them to overcome it?
1: I think the thing I've seen the most that I've watched them do the most is they try too hard. They feel like they have to make up something, not all of them. So let me, let me say that first. They have a tendency sometimes to be aggressive um, because they feel like they have something to make up or they have something that they need to prove. And the reality is, is if, if they would just pastor if they're going to be a lead pastor, if they would just pastor and pastor really well, they would prove everything that needs to be proved. Just preach well and pastor well. But I watch them self-sabotage periodically because they, they try, I use the expression, they try too hard. I, and I, under, I get the piece. The, I get the, the proving piece. And I understand that. It, it's no different than when you're in your first assignment. And whether you're male or female, you, you don't want to fail. Because um, you, you that sets up a precedent that you don 't want to be viewed that way, I think that that has a tendency for for men and women, but women especially because i th- I think they feel like they have so much more to prove, and from my perspective they don 't um have a lot more to prove they just need to pastor well and let let the fruit be the proving ground of the result of of their ministry
0: I definitely think that the Mac piece helps um mm-hmm. really leaning into you know, what that was, you know, when I was going through a course of study, you know, we, we took some of those, we did the, we didn't do strength finders, but we did Meyer Briggs. Like I knew, I knew I I was an INFP, but I didn't really understand what that meant. And it wasn't until you know, I was burning out trying to be an extrovert as an introvert, not, uh, I do a lot of things. Well, being an extrovert is not one of them. (laughs) And so uh, recognizing that and understanding what that means and then leaning into it has made a huge difference. I think that's what I've seen from Mac is it really helps. It gives people permission, especially women to be who God created you to be.
1: Yeah, When this is over, you'll take a nap and I'll drive down to the gas station to talk to somebody because I'll need someone. And both of them are healthy.
0: Well, except that I've said this pandemic has been like really awesome. (laughs) I'm like, I only need like six hours of sleep at night. I get so much more done. I'm like, this is great.
1: I can set up Zoom so I can just see somebody.
0: Right? Yeah. 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 yeah, Tuesdays kill me. Tuesdays, for whatever reason, are my. I have like four or five. I'll have Zoom meetings back to back. And well, by Tuesday night, I'm like, oh, Lord, help <laughs> me.
1: Well, and you know, the, the new statistic out right now is that Zoom meetings are harder than than real meetings. And so that's that's the whole nother to that exhaustion that happens.
0: Yeah, they really are. Uh, hey, anything else you want to share with the podcast?
1: Well, uh, no, just thank thank you for doing what you do, and uh, I think you I think you're setting a a great example for you know for our women and and uh, the way you model ministry and do ministry. And I was you know I was on the advisory board. I wasn't the DS, but I was on the advisory board when you started, and I remember the conversation about about that whole thing and how excited Dr. Anthony was to have you do to do uh, back then. It was plumbline. You know, just say thank you for what you do. You you're more respected than I, I hope hope you realize how much you're respected maybe more than you know by not only people in on our district but off the district on the region they know who you are and you set a great example by by what you're doing and, and I I think I would say to to women is you know the, the size of the church that you pastor is not an issue you know it's it's just pastoring well is is the issue just being being productive and fruitful in the kingdom because at the end of the day it's not about how big or how small. It's just about fruit. And if we could ever just get that idea, um, then then I think we would all do a better job and not worry as much about trying to be PC. We and just do our jobs. Yeah, just do our jobs well and and play into our strengths. Uh, It will be much more productive. But thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it today.
0: Yeah. I wish I had more questions for you, but I'm like, I, well, you answered other questions I
1: had that I didn't ask. So, <laughs> sorry, that then, right?
0: <laughs> but that's pretty typical.
1: The one thing that you know, the one thing that we're never taught, and uh, even no matter if you went to college and seminary, and uh, or you whatever process you do, they, they've never they never really taught leadership, and and that says so much of what we do. Um, and, and so, uh, that was a big piece for me. And I I think I've read every John Maxwell book that was ever written um, because I kind of. I liked him for a couple of reasons. One, he he was Wesleyan in, in his approach to yeah. life, and everybody else wasn't. And I kind of connected with him because I kind of identified with him a little bit. He seemed to like what he was doing and have fun, and he enjoyed it. And he's extroverted way beyond me. But
0: oh but yeah,
1: uh, oh yeah. <laughs> and so uh, once I heard him, I was I was kind of hooked. So I did his monthly leadership tape for 15 years I did that and and he taught me more about leadership and uh and it helped immensely down through the years and so I, I just say to people all the time find find out where your weak your weaknesses are and then find ways to enhance that uh it just will make a big difference in in who you are and what you do down the road whether you're male or female it doesn't matter but really grateful really grateful for all the ladies on our district between us I think in New England we're one of the leading districts in in female pastors. So and I'm kind of proud of that. If it's okay to be proud of that, I'm kind of proud of that. And the fact that we really lean into that and believe that ministries open to anyone's uh
0: I'm glad to be on this district. So
1: Yeah, we're glad to have you. <laughs> we're really glad to have you.
0: It's been good. It's been uh last ten years have been good ministry. Even in spite of the pandemic, it's been good ministry, so yeah well the
1: pandemic is the pan i think what's happened with the pandemic is it's i don't see us going back to doing what we always did i I see if I were pastoring in these days, I would be going back um not only ready to go back into a church but to continue to do the online kinds of presence in different kinds of ways because people will still be looking for you and looking for us. I think I told our pastors a week or so ago. It takes 21 days to develop a habit, and we have been doing this now for 110 days. Uh, we've been teaching our people how to go to church differently for 110 days. So, uh, almost 21 and 100, almost six times the normal result. We've been teaching people how to how to do things differently. So we we have to respond to that correctly, or I think it, it, we may die by it if we don't.
0: Right. Yeah, we're definitely praying through that piece and. I've been pleased to see, um, you know, we've worked really hard these last couple of years on discipleship Mm -hmm. and especially connecting them. And so they've really stepped up and taken on uh, ownership and leadership of a lot of these pieces that, and it was a necessity, you know, it was us saying we can't do all of these pieces. So you're going to have to step up and help. And, and they have, I mean, it hasn't been twisting their arm, but. It's been great to see that, and I I do believe we're not going to really know what, you know, what the the real fruit is for a while. Like we've just started seeing, okay, now we're seeing the fruit come about, and that's you know two months, three months, right?
1: So I yeah I think I don't think we really realize how much of an impact we're making, and I think we'll we'll know that you're right what, down the road. And
0: well, I think it's going to be good though. We might even see another.
1: Holiness revival out of this whole thing, right? And that'd be awesome. That'd be that'd great. Be awesome. Yeah, yeah. The things that we fought, so many churches fought for so long, they just got forced into. You know, I've, I can't tell you how many pastors have said to me, "Boy, you know, i never. I'm trying to get my church to do online giving. I can't, I can't convince them it's the right thing to do." Well, this convinced everybody it's the right thing to do. So, you know, we helped a lot of churches establish that and get it going, and it's been a good. There, there's a lot of good that's come out of this, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot more.